Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tanellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cover, sit back and enjoy. I've often said that the best kind of book is the one where you learn something you didn't know beforehand. A bit of armchair travelling back through time is what I call the perfect read. Australian authors are absolutely cracking this genre at the moment and none so more than my next guest. With titles like The Three Miss Allens, The Last of the Bonagilla Girls and The Land Girls, Victoria Perman has become a USA Today best-selling author. Her latest novel, The Women's Pages, was recently released by HarperCollins and is a fascinating insight into life in Sydney at the end of World War II. It's a riveting examination of what life was like for the women who stepped up to the plate to fill the gaps left by men who went off to war, what it was like to wait for news of their loved ones and how they coped with those who returned home changed by all that they had seen and experienced. It's a book that shines a light on an important chapter of women's struggle for equality in the face of extreme patriarchy. But Victoria has done this in the context of a gloriously rich story, peppered with nostalgia, humour and hopefulness. I'm delighted to welcome Victoria to the podcast today. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Claudine. Oh, I feel so flattered by your introduction. <laughs> no need to be. It's, it's all true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, as I said before we started recording, I had the pleasure of meeting you last year in Melbourne at the RWA conference. And at that stage, I hadn't read any of your books, but since I've had the pleasure of reading two of them, and as I indicated in my introduction, I love that your books delve into Australia's past. I came upon that by accident, actually. My first five books were um, romances set at the beach and one on Kangaroo Island. Um, and I, I love writing those. And writing a contemporary novel is kind of easy because you just look around you and you go to a nice place like the Fleurio Peninsula in South Australia or Kangaroo Island and you think oh if I put characters here what might happen but I um I became a bit obsessed with telling my mother's story um her migration story um, I'm a first generation Australian and mum was born in Hungary and she came over in 1954 when she was 14 years old with her parents and her four siblings and they were part of that great migration in the 50s and I'd always heard the name Bonagilla during my childhood because they had met friends at Bonagilla who were lifelong friends um, and I always heard the name and I was never curious when I was younger but I started to think I think I need to find out about my mum's story before you know she's 78 now and she's completely fine but before those memories are lost so I sat down with my mum and my auntie who's six years older than my mum so she had some better sort of clearer memories and and just thought there was a story there about capturing that migration experience and that kind of got me down this rabbit hole of lost and ignored stories from our past and that kind of set me it was completely unplanned um, and it, but it sent me in this new direction, which I've just absolutely loved. And finding the stories of women in our history takes a lot of digging because women were written out of history. Men wrote the history and men were the reporters and the journalists and the news editors. So when looking for women's stories in old newspapers, it's even trickier. 
So I've relied a lot on contemporary books looking back at that history as well. But no, I, I should have been an historian, really. I, in another life, I, I would have loved it. And I kind of do my own amateur historian thing in my books. But um, I just absolutely love honouring those women in our past who have been ignored and forgotten. As I mentioned, The Women's Pages is your most recent release and spotlights Sydney at the end of World War II. What was the spark of inspiration for Tilly's story? When I finished uh, The Land Girls, I finished that story on VP Day, which was August 15th, 1945. For those who haven't read it, The Land Girls is about the Australian Women's Land Army based on the real stories of women that I'd researched. And they were all sacked, basically, at the end of the war. They had done um, farm and agricultural labouring work that was desperately needed but the men had gone off to war. So women did those roles. And it was when the men came back from the war, women were expected to give up that work and go back to being the housewife, which is kind of a fallacy because they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, when I, so when I finished that book and I toured with it, I heard so many stories from women um, and men actually on who remembered that era talking about what happened after the war. And that sparked that idea that I wanted to investigate that idea that I had that everyone came back from the war and sure there were some terrible tragedies of death and missing family members who were never buried um, and then the scars that those people brought back home with them who'd been in prisoner of war camps and, and, and just general what we'd now call PTSD. But I kind of thought that everyone said, oh, the war's over, phew, we can go back to our normal lives and resume business as usual. Well, I started to hear that, of course, my idea was probably from Hollywood, not real life. So I, I thought that was an, a fertile period to investigate. And I created Tilly Galloway as a character, a woman who was a war correspondent in Sydney during the war, because a journalist is a great character to write because they, ask, they get to ask questions all the time and they get to ask sometimes impolite questions and investigate things that people don't want told. So I I thought a journalist was a great character to get into the history of that post-war period because she could go and investigate and ask, why is it so? Why why are things this way? There was lots that I put in that book about the lives of women after the war, about the plight of war widows, the plight of those whose husbands came home um, terribly damaged Mm. emotionally and physically and... uh, and the burdens they had to bear after the war. So that was a kind of spark. It, uh, one book sort of flowed. They're not linked in any way, but mm. one book sort of flowed into the other. And I started the women's pages on the exact same day that the Land Girls finished. So VP Day, August 1945. But instead of telling it as I did in the Land Girls from the characters being there, um, in the women's pages, I told it through Tilly's eyes. She's sent out into the streets on the day that Chifley announces the war is over and she goes to report it. Um, so she sees things through a sort of very different lens. Yeah, so that was, a, that was the inspiration. And who knows where inspiration comes from, really. It's, sometimes it's a sentence, a word, an old newspaper article. I just thought this was an, a fascinating period. And as I mentioned, um, people who know that era are sadly getting older and sometimes their memories are failing before they do. So I want you to get in quick before, while they remembered. Victoria, I can think of a few titles from Australian authors in the last couple of years who delve into some of the 
unknown women's stories from World War II, what you've described as, you know, women being written out of history. And I'm sure there are many readers and listeners like me who'd be surprised to learn about the essential roles performed by women in those terrible years. So I wanted to ask you, why do you think that we're seeing such a proliferation of stories like this in recent times? It's always hard to discern why a trend becomes a trend in, in the book world. I think one book starts and it's and it kind of opens the door and then people say, oh, that was interesting. I might like to read something else about that era. It opens a door into that part of our history where the stories are untold. And so I think that's probably why trends start. I mean, I've had readers say, oh, I don't normally read historical fiction, but I thought this was amazing. So that to me is the perfect compliment. And I try to write stories about ordinary people in the war. There's no rich heiresses or anything in my books. They're, they're really ordinary um, working class people or migrants or secretaries who find themselves in situations. And to me, they're relatable because that's, you know, I'm, I'm a first generation Australian child of migrants. And so I like to put ordinary people in my books because I think most of us are ordinary or extraordinarily ordinary. I think people can relate to those things. And we all like the escapism of beautiful cities and gorgeous fashion and other things. There's absolutely, that's absolutely true too. Um, Especially when we watch something like The Crown, you know, where Mm. there's no way I know anything about what it's like to be a royal but god I devoured that series I think it's for women especially they've said I never for instance about the land girls I never knew we had a land army Mm. Um, I didn't know that women did this work during the war and I say well look I didn't either until I saw a reference in a newspaper that I came across by accident and I just thought hmm what's that about and so maybe it's because people are interested in in those stories because they are fascinating too. As I said in the beginning that's what I love and admire about your writing you know shining a light on something that is a forgotten part of our history really. Thank you yeah I think that's there's lots of stories worth telling and in the women's pages I for instance I I came across this as, as I do most things by accident I wanted to portray, and this isn't a major plot point, so there's no spoilers for people who haven't read the book, but Mm. Tilly has a sister whose husband doesn't come home from the war, not because he's been killed, but because he's met someone in Brisbane. Um, So he doesn't come back to Sydney. So he abandons his wife and children, his three children. Um, And um, women like Tilly's sister got no support. Mm. There was a, a tiny little sort of child endowment back then but they were left with nothing. And the men went off, you know, and took their salary and their army pay with them. So I was looking for what support was there for women in that situation. I delved into that a little bit. Then I came across the story of the War Widows Guild, which was actually formed in Sydney after the war to help look after and lobby governments about the terrible circumstances war widows found themselves in. You know, you might say that someone whose husband abandoned them, or at least they were still alive, but the, the war widows, got nothing as soon as the person was found to be deceased all payments stopped and that woman may well have been back in australia with children unable to work unless she had family support or maybe she did work but women's wages were 60 percent of a man's so they certainly weren't lying around eating bonbons in the backyard drinking champagne they were working really hard on the bones of their backsides. And so the, the war widows were treated particularly poorly. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, oh, I just have to put that in. Yeah. Just have to put that in the book. So some of these things are kind of serendipitous and I just come across them and think, and that was the beauty of making Tilly a journalist in the book because she could 
asked that question that, that I had, this is terrible. Why, why was this happening? This is an injustice for those women and families who'd, who'd sacrificed, if you like, their husbands and fathers to the war effort and were treated so abominably um, after Indeed. that. Victoria, for me, Tilly was a remarkable character, definitely one shaped by her left-wing, highly politicised family. She fearlessly pursued or pushed the boundaries in both her professional and personal life. So I wanted to ask, was she inspired by a real-life character in any way? I found a fantastic book about women uh, war reporters called Australian Women War Reporters uh, by Janine Baker, and it covered um, the first women war reporters and then right up through to Iraq. And I, I honed in on that World War II section and there were some really fantastic trailblazing Australian women war correspondents. As a tribute, I gave Tilly the name of Tilly Shelton Smith, who was one particular reporter. Um, she was very glamorous, but was really determined to become a war correspondent as were a whole range of other women from different publications in Australia from Sydney and Melbourne and Canberra, but they were stymied. The army refused to let them go anywhere near a soldier or, or a battlefield, to be honest. They didn't even get to leave Australia. And they were seen by the army as a kind of propaganda machine that they could send the, the, the women reporters to munitions factories or to visit land girls or to report on the good works of, of um, women and people at home. And, and, you know, they, they were very worthy aims because people were sacrificing and doing a whole lot of things. But Tilly in particular, her motivation was that she wanted to go overseas to cover the war to find out what had happened to her husband, who has been missing, when the book opens, has been missing for three years in New Guinea, but was never allowed to. So I kind of, you know, I took the name Tilly as a tribute to Tilly Shelton Smith and all those women who battled so hard but never won. But it just goes to show that um, we sort of have this idea that feminism kind of... Feminism happened when we got the vote, you know, in South Australia in 1896 or something, 1897. And then everything was okay. And then in the 70s, there was feminism. And then, you know, now there's a different kind of feminism. But women have fought every step of the way, all through. And these women fought and fought. But the Australians deferred to MacArthur and uh, he didn't want women anywhere near the front either. So um, that battle was lost. But they were a great bunch of women and they were, there were Australian war correspondents who were based overseas and worked for English publications who actually did get to the front. An Australian journalist whose name escapes me was at the D-Day landings and others covered the Nuremberg war trials, but they were working for foreign publications. They weren't working for Australian newspapers and they weren't in Australia. You coloured Tilly's world with the kind of deprivations and hardships Australians faced at the time, things like rationing, lack of work and poor working conditions, but also the very real threat posed by the Japanese when war came to the Pacific after the, the attack on Pearl Harbour. So I wanted to ask, what kind of research did you do to bring Tilly's world to life? Oh, that was enormous fun. In the days before COVID, you know, when you could actually get on a plane and go places. <laughs> I've been to Sydney many, many times, but I did a particular trip where I walked the streets of Potts Point where I had her live. Um, and I had to find a building in which she would live. I just needed to walk that journey for her from Potts Point into the centre of Sydney, into to Pitt Street, to where the newspaper would be. And then to walk from Pitt Street around to Miller's Point where her mum and dad still lived and where she'd grown up. And that was amazing. And the things I found out about Potts Point 
there's a lot of, for those Sydney siders, there's a lot of Art Deco buildings there, sort of apartment style buildings. They were built in the 20s to house all the single women who, as we kind of know, um, never married after World War I. So many Australian men had died. So they became the sort of single ladies apartments. And I just thought it would be great to put Tilly there in World War II as a kind of, you know, nod to those women of that earlier generation. So, and that way, and, and I had to have her close to the city, to, to Pitt Street, because public transport was so crowded during the war, petrol was still rationed. So a lot of people walked instead. And if they were on public transport, it was, you know, crowded, like they were like sardines in a tin. So they tried to walk when they could. But as I did that walk and I walked up and down Barangaroo now, which was the Hungry Mile, where the wharves were, and that's the, the wharfies and the waterside workers lived around the rocks and Miller's Point because they got work when mm. the ships came in. It was all really casualised. So here the ships come in, they'd all race down to the, to the gates on the docks and just wait to be pointed out of a crowd and given a shift. So that, that part of Sydney is obviously very different now than it was then. But it was a very, very working class area and people probably know the rocks. But certainly outside of Sydney, we know the rocks as that, as that area. But no, walking Miller's Point was really interesting. There's not, a, there's not much left of the Hungry Mile. It's all, I think it's Barangaroo now mm. and all those huge towers I think there are apartments and casinos now. Now, with so many real-life events to use to build your character's world, how do you walk the line between fact and fiction in your writing? It is a very tricky space I find myself in, and I, I've never, so far, uh, in my published books, I haven't fictionalised any real person, except to mention that Chifley was the Prime Minister and Curtin mm. had died and, and that kind of thing. But I've created people because... I'm not an historian, as I mentioned, and writing a real person to me is a very tricky space when you don't know them or if you, if you haven't researched it properly. So I kind of do that thing where I research as much as I can and then create new people in that world because I got the last thing as a former journalist, the last thing I'd want to do is defame anyone or get something wrong. That would be the worst thing getting something wrong about a real living person. As it is, I've had people contact me via social media and by email saying, I, you know, I love the, the Miller's Point part of the book. My grandmother was one of the characters of The Rocks and, mm. you know, lived there till her dying day. And I thought, wow, but I, I could never recreate her in that book because mm. she's her own person and um, without being able to speak to, some, speak to her, you know, that, it's tricky. So I, I do tend to invent characters. It's easier than, to me, getting something wrong about someone which would be mortifying. Victoria, there are so many themes and issues to unpack from this novel. We could, frankly, be here all day. But one of the very interesting subplots in this story and something that we mentioned in passing earlier is the fact that Tilly's husband and her best friend Mary's husband are both prisoners of war. Mm. Now, tell me about that and why did you want to include this thread in Tilly's story? I heard about the Montevideo Maru somewhere. Mm. I don't know where. And I thought the story of that was so interesting. So this is a ship. It is intrinsically linked to prisoners of war in New Guinea. Mm. And when I heard the story, I was so fascinated by it. And I thought, why don't we know about this boat? Why don't we know more about this yeah. and what happened in New Guinea? These are Australian citizens um, in New Guinea. And um, um, I was fascinated and appalled. And I just thought, if I can do one little bit to bring that story to life and to people's um, attention. Yeah. Um, I, I 
that I'd be very, you know, honoured. I was really honoured to do it because it's just another, again, another untold um, story in our history. And and without going into detail about why we don't know too much about it, it was there were things about that story that no one wanted to get out, especially during the war. It was fascinating, and and so I do little things like that. I don't. I'm not really a plotter. I um, I'm a bit of a pantser, and so I start with a vague idea about a character or how I want the book to open. The openings of my books have always, from day one of drafting, always stay kind of the same, because I have a really clear picture about how I want the book to start mm. and end, but it's in the middle where I find the fun and the interest where, you know, I mentioned the War Widows Guild and hearing about them, I thought I just have to put something in about the terrible treatment of war widows. So I managed to, to fit that in. And then I found another interesting story. And just as Tilly might, as a journalist, get a, a new scoop, a new lead one day about a story. And so I had to put them in. But I did want to portray the terrible psychological damage of the men who'd, who'd, who'd fought in World War II. That's, you know, I'm not the first to do that, of course. But I had a man um, come along to one of my book events when I toured with the Land Girls. And he said, um, I remember the end of the war, my, he was 14 at the time, and he said, um, my brother came back, no, my uncle came back from Changi, and he shared a bedroom with me, there were housing shortages all over Australia, so people did have to bunk in with family, and um, so he said, my uncle had a bed in the same bedroom as me, and I'll never forget the scars on his back, mm. and this was 75 years later, this man was telling me and, and tears were rolling down his face mm. at the memory of this. And so I, I really wanted to honour that as well, that pain of the people who were here as well and having to cope and know that, that that had happened to their loved ones. Obviously, women in the media have come a long way from where Tilly was. And as a journalist yourself, uh, no doubt you will have seen changes in this realm. But there's still a long way to go, isn't there? There is really a long way to go. If you look at what's happening to the ABC at the moment, and that's where I was a journalist a long time ago, there's been a huge round of redundancies and a whole lot of senior women are gone. So we are losing. I wonder if the redundancies are more proportionately targeting women and we are losing so many decades and decades of experience in, in those women. The, the media is a, is a very changing a very changed industry from when I was in it in the 80s. The jobs are just disappearing, absolutely disappearing, and we don't know what the future of it will be like. So it's a sort of sad time for me. What it means is that people are employed casually, they're paid very poorly. We have, we have this idea that it's all very glamorous, but I've got to tell you, it's, um, it may look glamorous because they're on TV, but the, the wages certainly aren't glamorous. And it's a hard industry for men as well. And it's a hard industry for anyone over say 50. It's hard all round. But I think the sexism in newsrooms is probably less than it used to be, but it's not disappeared anywhere. So I'm, I wouldn't anticipate that, we, that it has disappeared completely from newsrooms as well. And it, and it hasn't disappeared from the way women are treated on social media. Go to Twitter and ask any high profile female reporter or any high profile woman, to be honest, um, how they're treated on the social media platforms. And it's appalling. There are more, certainly more women reporting and there, are, there have been women war correspondents. So in that case, in that sense, we absolutely have come so far, but the misogyny in the communities 
pretty depressing, actually. Victoria, you're a regular mentor and workshop presenter. So with that in mind, what advice would you have for the many writers who listen to this podcast, those of us seeking to get that first manuscript written or that first publishing deal? My advice is to, um, as Nora Roberts says, apply the bum glue. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing more important than sitting in front of your computer and typing. People say, I, 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 I've calcul- once I calculated how many words I'd written, it's probably, uh, it's probably 1.5 million or something now. Yeah. Um, and people say, wow, how did you do it? And I just say, lots of typing, which is true. When you commit to it, spend, just, just, just type, which I know sounds really simplistic, but you can edit another norism. You, can, you can't edit an empty page. Mm. So I would say, stick to it. Have a, have a routine about when you write. Try to get some words down as often as you can. Uh, I won't say every day because people have lives and other responsibilities. But um, the other thing I would say is read a lot. Read a lot in the genre. If you're not published, read a lot in the genre you want to be published in so you know what's being published. The other piece of advice for me is go to, go to Big W. If you want to be in the commercial world, publishing world, which is where I am, go to Big W and see what's on the shelves. If that's the sort of stuff you want to write, that's the sort of stuff you need to read. Mm. This doesn't apply, of course, if you want to read, if you want to write literary fiction, then go to a, a specialist bookshop where there will be literary fiction and read that and know that, know what sells, know the market and know where you fit. It's important for booksellers to know where to shelve a title. It's as simple as that. So yeah, they're, they're my they're my things as well as you know, so write, read and know the market. It doesn't mean you write to the market, but it means I've I've had people come to workshops and say, oh, I don't, I've never go to Big W. And I say, wow, so you don't know what's selling in the market. Because if you're trying to sell to a publisher your your novel about stamp collecting, uh, look, I'm not against philatelists by any stretch. I'm just trying mm, to think of something yeah. that's a bit niche. If you're trying to sell that novel and there are no other books about stamp collecting out there, you're either, you, you either are going to start the trend or no one will think a, a book about stamp collecting sells. And if you're a debut author, you're probably in the second category. That's a truism most of the time. Sometimes, of course, there's a breakout book and we all want to write Harry Potter. Look what's selling, I think, would be the, the thing for me. And read. Read a lot. Reading, reading doesn't have to be expensive. Reading is free. And, and join the library. Fantastic advice. Thanks for that. So, Victoria, what's next? Are you working on something else? Another historical fiction title, perhaps? Um, tomorrow, just doing the final read through on my book for next year, which is um, set in World War One, um, about Australian nurses in England. Mm. I just came across this story and thought, wow, I didn't know. And, and they worked at an Australian hospital, fully fully staffed by Australians, doctors, nurses, porters. Mm. voluntary aid detachment nurses the whole box and dice and they they treated australians who were injured on the continent so um uh, yeah that's out next september but i don't have a title so i can't i can't (laughs) talk about that cool i look forward to uh, learning a little bit more about that in months to come so victoria if listeners wanted to learn more about you and your books where can they find you all my books are listed on my website which is victoriaperman.com and um, i'm on facebook as victoria perman author where you can see photos of my golden retriever puppy. Sometimes I, I post about books. And I'm on Instagram as well as Victoria Perman. So where I also post photos of my dog. 
Yes, don't we all? That's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> Nothing like dog photos. Oh, I know. She's such a, she's been such a beautiful self to the family during the whole coronavirus yeah. year to have a, to have a young dog and especially one she's, She's just got such a gorgeous temperament. So, Victoria, I thoroughly enjoyed Tilly's story and can't wait to see what comes after it. Thank you for joining me on Talking Aussie Books today. Thanks, Claudine. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.